welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Today, we welcome Marianne McLaughlin. Pioneering relauncher Marianne McLaughlin worked for over 40 years at the Office of Spiritual Development within the Archdiocese of Boston, which is the fourth largest archdiocese in the United States and the spiritual home for more than 1.8 million Catholics. We are speaking with Marianne as part of our mini-series on relaunching in religion, whether in the clergy, in a non-clergy role as part of spiritual life, or in an administrative role within a place of worship. After starting her career as a teacher in the Boston Public Schools, Marianne was forced to leave when she was pregnant with her first child. Yes, those were the rules in the 60s. She had five more children over the ensuing 16 years and returned to work in 1981, over two decades before anyone was talking about relaunching. It's an honor to speak with her today about her incredible career and pioneering relaunch and how she's still really working, even though she's technically retired. Marianne, welcome to 321 I Relaunch. Thank you, Carol. I'm delighted to be here and look forward to our conversation today. Well, me too. And let's start by talking about the early part of your career and career break. So you returned in 1981, and that does make you a pioneering relauncher because you relaunched your career decades before relaunching careers was discussed as a topic and before the return to work programs that we now see at at companies and at other institutions. Can you please walk us through your early career as a teacher and then what led to your career break? Well, I finished my studies at Boston College in the School of Education, and I graduated on the first Saturday in June, 1964. And Tom and I were married on the last Saturday of June, and I began teaching. I was hired for the city of Boston. I began teaching at the Prince School that September. Now, my career was a short one because within that year, I became pregnant and I was very delighted with my husband to be welcoming our first child. However, in the city of Boston and many other school systems, you could not teach um, when you were pregnant. And so while we were close to the end of that first year, I got sick one day at school and had to be taken to the hospital. And so it became apparent that I was pregnant. And uh, so I left um, in May and I was not able to return. I was on uh, maternity leave for about nine years. (laughs) And um, at the end of nine years, that's the way it was in those days, At the end of nine years, I realized that this is probably not going to happen, me going back to teaching, because Mm. at that time I had had seven pregnancies and we had uh, one miscarriage and lost that baby. And, And then our children were spread out over 10 years. And so we always had a little one and always had something going on, which was incredible. So I put aside my thoughts, but periodically I would look into what it would cost to have childcare. 
and me go back even part-time and realized that I would have to make more money to pay the person who was doing the child care, mm-hmm. making myself. So um, that sort of put it on hold in a more permanent way. So, uh, you know, it, it's so hard to believe that there were these rules about uh, you can't teach if you're pregnant, but uh, that was just a sign of the times, I, I guess. So you had um you had six children, you were home with them, uh, you were trying to figure out, is there any way you could go back to work, but the child care costs w- with all of them w- just made it prohibitive. Uh, at, at what point did you think that it was finally feasible and how old were your kids and what steps did you take at that point to relaunch your career? Well, I have to say that it moves slowly and um One of the things, a choice that Tom and I made was that we decided to send our children to the local parish school. And so they were attending the Catholic school in our neighborhood, and we had a new principal. And uh, the principal invited the parents to take part in the school in a way that had not happened before. Um, she wanted to begin a home and school type of group. She wanted us to do things with the parents, like retreats and days of prayer. And she also wanted us to have a parish show a, um, and to have all the kids involved in it. Well, to make a long story short, that was probably the beginning of my kind of going beyond what was happening here and organizing programs like um, painting the school. I mean, basic things like that, organizing the Home and School Association. But at one point, she did two things. She asked Tom and I to make a cursio. It's a Spanish word, and it's a program that came out of Mallorca in Spain um, in the Catholic Church in the 40s. And it was basically to help people in Mallorca um, renew their faith after some very difficult years of war. It had traveled to the United States in the 50s and then into the 60s. And so um, she had taken part in it and uh, invited us to make a weekend, which, I mean, first thing I said is, oh, I can't do that, you know? Got all these kids. I can't go off for a weekend. And it turned out one of the other sisters who taught at the school said she would help us. Um, And my husband then decided he would make the the Curcio weekend. And then because the man had to go first, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. So my husband went first and there was a genius in that, I would say. And then when he came home, he was all in. He thought this was phenomenal. And then I went and this was the lead in because it involved our whole family. As time Mm. on, the children saw that we were both going and we were coming back and telling them about what we had learned and asking them to pray for us while we did these things. And then the sister, Sister Julie Dunphy was her name, 
And she invited me then to do little mini retreats for the parents. Now, I wasn't directing the retreat. I was organizing it. I was Mm -hmm. from the Curcio to come. One of the priests would come and do a morning of prayer in Brookline at uh, another little I, I think there were um, there was a religious community up there that let us use their chapel and the house. And so that was the entree. I was also invited to do a um, be on team and my husband was on team. The men went on one weekend, the women another. And so again, both of us were doing these little forays into a learning about our faith in an adult way and b um also being away from the children and other people came in and helped us really came and or visited on the weekend there was a community of franciscan sisters from mount alvernia academy who had a convent in the neighborhood and they offered to come and uh, watch the kids and help out in any way. So I think that's really fascinating on two levels. First of all, it you were you were doing all this as a volunteer, right? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you know we we call this now strategic volunteering when you're doing volunteer work that is in line with your career goals. But at the time, the way you're describing it, it wasn't really part of any like grand strategy that you were going to volunteer first and then end up in some sort of a paid role within the Catholic church, but it, it kind of like, sounds like it, it was, it was the first steps that led toward it. So, so that's one thing that's, that's jumping out. At let, me. let me say one oh, yeah, thing about ahead. the grand strategy. I, I hear what you're saying and you're absolutely right. I don't think I had a clue about a strategy at that point. I do think there's something called grace that, you know, the amazing grace Mm-hmm. where somehow God prepares you, invites you, challenges you into a world that you probably never would have gone into. Mm-hmm. This is not a place. I'm a very quiet person. I'm very reserved. And I was drawn into this um, this leaving home, I know it sounds crazy. It was down the street, you know. <laughs> it, it opened um, places in me that weren't um, ready to go that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other th- comment that you made about um, having one of the sisters or, or like someone else come into and and take care of the kids while you or your husband um, are I don't know at at one point if it was even both you, but, but uh, while you were going on these retreats or, or you were doing something outside the home was sort of getting them used to this idea of having other people around in the mix. And I'd have to say they loved it. (laughs) Yeah. So that, so I love that, that, that it was a super positive experience. They say, you know, it takes a village and you, you had a, a whole mix of different people in, and it was kind of like, I don't want to say an extended family, but, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, it feels like that a little bit. Very much so. So what you're talking about here is family life that sounds like it was already fundamentally intertwined with Catholic Church and the Catholic religion. And is that how you would describe it uh, in general? Or was that something that 
again, happen more over time? I would say it was happening over time. We were people who were believers. We are people who are believers. And our faith has always given us a lens with which to look at the world and to be supported in um, in our own struggles. Mm-hmm. Around this time, my father was a principal in one of our schools in Boston. My, my parents were just genuinely good people. Um, and my mother had been diagnosed with cancer around this time as well. But my dad had been beaten in the school um, on the last day of school and uh, ended up in the hospital and and ended up with long-range brain damage. Hmm. Lasted a very long time, but that at the same time opened our doors even more so. Kersia gave me a place where on on uh, a Curcio team during a weekend, I was able to talk about the experience of, like, I had never seen man's inhumanity to man. Mm. Just mm-hmm. in my mind, you know, you can't put your head around it. And in that, um, it was a very horrifying experience that... He would live, um, I think it was almost 12 years after that, and he lived with us for a period of time. My mother died during that time afterwards, after going through 14 months of um, her experience with cancer. So it all, it was like an avalanche where Mm. I had been in a bubble, I think, of knowing the suffering that... Um, people go through in day-to-day living and then here it was and we do face it um, up front and again family um, my brother was a tremendous support tremendous support through all of that and I hope I was the same kind of support there were just the two of us and Mm -hmm. everything in our power to to um, keep dad at home, but there came a time where it was impossible. You know, I had six kids. Eileen was born during that time. And um, I remember at one point tying the, um, the doors closed and because he would go out at night, if he woke up, he'd just get up and go out and would um, end up tying a door shut and realizing I got a baby upstairs, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. So, so all of that was happening and it was at the same time we were going out, we were being pulled back in. Right. And thank you for sharing um, uh, that personal trauma that, that went on with your father and, and your mother dying around the same time. And, um, the role religion played during that time for you. And I, I do need to mention, I, I didn't mention this at the beginning. So um, Marianne mentioned Eileen, who's the youngest of her six children. And uh, our family is very connected with Eileen um, because she, when she was in college, used to babysit for our children. And then later, as she became more and more of a leader herself in education, she was still uh, connected with our family and coming in and 
almost working more as a tutor for a while until finally <laughs> she got so senior <laughs> that, that we decided she it was time to, for her to move on and and but we were very very close and we've also um and through that that's how Marianne and I got connected and so a very very um special wonderful feelings there and connections and a real blessing so, Carol I just want to say uh, Thank you. Well, it was a blessing for us, too, uh, in, in so many ways. Um, so let's talk about your relaunch. Um, uh, so you're doing you're very active um, in these specific volunteer roles that had to do um, at your kids school uh, at, the, at the church more broadly. When did this actually turn into something that became paid work and what was the work? Well, um because of the Curcio and because of the Curcio teams that I participated in on a volunteer basis, I was introduced um, during one of those weekends on a break time to a newly named bishop. His name was Bishop John Darcy. He had just been um, made bishop and he was called uh, the Vicar for spirituality in the diocese. And the day that I met him, I was introduced by uh, Father Connie McRae, who was the um, director, along with Father Jack McCormick, of the Curcio movement in the diocese. So I was introduced to Bishop Darcy in the hallway. It was a casual conversation, but I mean, that doesn't usually happen. And then mm -hmm. again and again, two other times, um, he had uh, had a conversation with me that he called and sat down and said, this is where I'm going. And I'm just thinking, you know, would you ever be interested in doing something, literally doing something with us? I know you're you a prepared to be a teacher, and I know you work in Curcio, and I know that you were active in your parish. So I said, sure. I mean, I live down the street, and I, mm. you know, what could it be? Nobody talked about money. Nobody talked about what I would be doing. It would be doing something. And as time went on, um, he he had hired uh, Sister Helen Cornelia and some other sisters to work with him in setting up this office. And there were other priests in the diocese that he brought in. So it was brand new. Then I was called to the office one day. And again, I'm not doing anything other than volunteering work. And mm -hmm. he, he said to me, um, I'm going to be hiring a cross-section um, my dream is that this office would be lay people, priests, deacons, uh, and the diaconate was just being called up again in a new way um, to be active in the diocese. Um, so sisters, uh, uh, just a cross-section of people. Would you want to be a lay person who would work in this office alongside the um, the other people from the diocese. And I said, mm -hmm. fascinating. And I love mm -hmm. new, you know. So I said, what is it going to be? <laughs> <And> he, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
because it's going to be um, doing retreats, days of prayer, missions. There'd be like five nights, and each night there'd be a different topic. And one night it'd be a priest, another night it would be a sister, another night it would be a lay person. Um, I might do the last night. And and so he had a mixture of people. It sounded remarkable to me, but I don't like to talk. Mm-hmm. So this is a major issue for me. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I'm not sure I'm good at that. You know what he did? He told me to take a mini course that he was offering for people, religious, lay, deacon, etc., cetera, um, just to, to see how I felt about it and to meet with the homiletics instructor down at the seminary at the end of one of those uh, courses where I'd be asked to write um, a little paper, just one or two pages, and then I would deliver it to the woman at the seminary who was the in homiletics instructor. Mm. Wait, hold on, Marianne, what is homiletics? Can you define that for our audience, please? I sure can. Um, the homiletics instructor at the seminary is very particular to the work of the, the priest and in training, who was a seminarian. So they um, spend a good amount of time helping men who come to the seminary and are going to be preaching the word of God in their parishes to learn how to preach and to learn how to put together um, a homily that would benefit parish. So Mm. this woman's job was not to take care of people like me. I don't even know that, um, that she had expected this to happen, but God bless her. I went mm-hmm. one day with my paper, and whatever possessed me is beyond me right now. <laughs> I stood at the front of the room, and she recorded me. And at the end, she said to me, now we're going to watch, and I'm going mm-hmm. to show you, and I want you to listen to where your voice goes up and your voice goes down. And he said to me, I had forgotten my Bible, and I said, I don't, I don't know um, what to do because I, I have forgotten my Bible. She said, tell the story rather than read the story. And I did. Mm-hmm. And the two things she said to me this that day was, watch yourself do this, and I'll point out the places where you need to make some adjustment. And the other thing is, don't ever read the story. Tell the story because hmm. you tell a good story. And do you know why I told a good story? Why? My children. Oh, of course. Of right. course. Do you love that? I. It's great. And I mean, this whole. I, so she's she is kind of like a speech co- like a speech expert, a presentation expert. Yes. And and this presentation was almost like a secret way of getting you to um, prep. Um, and then you like this whole, it feels like that, that magic phrase storytelling. And then you're able to relate that to storytelling with your kids. It's all it's, coming together. Right. And I, I do feel that she probably wasn't sure what I was going to be doing this for or uh, where 
was going to be doing it. But, you know, all along the way, in a world in which this shouldn't be happening, um, I met people who reached out to me and literally helped me be what I did not know I could be. Hmm. Wow. And and also, it seems like when you're describing the the job, aside for the, from the presentation piece of it, the need to do some sort of public speaking, you were, they were describing essentially a paid version of what you were already doing as a volunteer. Yes. As a matter of fact, there was a time when I was stuffing envelopes and a woman who was volunteering with me said, I gave up a day's pay to do this. And um, the person who was in charge of it said, well, I should, I should pay you the money that you're losing. And that, mm-hmm. that was the only time that I had a little thought in my head where you can get paid for something like this. Do you know? mm-hmm. it, it was, there was like, a, you begin to think differently. And yet, money was never a major concern in my going back. So when you're talking about these uh, these early conversations and, and this office is being formed, did they actually say it was called the Office of Spiritual Development or did that sort of come later when it was all put together? No. It, it, be, it was opened as the Office of Spiritual Development. So it was uh, an office that was to help parishes um, become more and more aware in a personal way, individuals who belong to a parish in a personal way in their own lifestyle um, to live their faith. It was after the Second Vatican Council where um, your participation in your faith was very real and every day. And learning how to do that was something brand new, even even up in the 80s. It was new. Um, the Second Vatican Council had happened back in the 60s, I think. I'm not good with dates. But um, then as it went on, it needed to be implemented all around the world. And that was part of what was happening here. So at what point did they say, we want you to actually take this job and we're going to pay you? Um, actually, um, it was in, let's see, probably 1981. So the conversations happened, um, prior to that. I made my cursio in 1978. That was, Eileen was 11 months old at that time. And, um, and I made the, that was huge to be going off on a weekend with an 11 month old baby at home. And Tom had made his weekend. He lived his weekend just before that. And when he came back, he said, I will stay home and I will take care of the kids this weekend mm. on my own. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, it was really a major deal that he was willing to do that. And, and it was offered as a prayer, as a, a sacrifice, as a, as a way that I would be living the weekend and benefiting from it as well. So mm. it was huge. So mm-hmm. when that all happened, um, we were 
very close to um, when I would be hired, but I was hired very part-time. And I was asked not to do any particular work, but to come in and learn what was unfolding. And one day, he, this Bishop Darcy was there, Sister Helen was there, and I could tell this was all very tentative. They were instituting um, a little retreat after daily mass. And they said to me, would you go out and give a talk every day after mass? Like a little talk. Mm-hmm. I said, wow. what's, what's a little talk? And, <laughs> right, well, define you know, that. <laughs> like 10 minutes or something like that. And I said, but... I don't have any talk. And they said, well, remember that course you took? And I said, the one on prayer? said, yeah, fine job with that when the homiletics instructor talked to you. So you could do that. And then you could expand on that because I'm sure you have more to say. And I'm thinking, what? I don't <laughs> <laughs> but they walked me through it, literally walked me through it and said to me, you know, we really feel you relate well to people. And they were naming things that I really did not see in myself. I had been bringing up my children and having a good time doing it and volunteering. So I said yes, and I began um, my Korea, <laughs> and making little money. I don't know. I can't even tell you. Can't even tell you. He said to me at one point, if I could only pay you a religious salary, which I think was next to nothing, um, mm -hmm. would you be willing to do the work? And I said I would. Mm -hmm. I was intrigued. Wow. Okay. So you ended up being at the Office of Spiritual Development for over 40 years. Can you talk to us about how your role evolved over time and how you evolved over time and, you know, becoming a more comfortable public speaker and I'm guessing taking on more responsibility as the years went on? Well, yes, I can tell you that in the beginning, things, things I would say moved very slowly, but at the same time, they moved um, remarkably well. Um, in the beginning, it was, as I told you, there would be retreats and I'd be sent out to parishes. And there were places who didn't want lay people coming. They'd prefer to have a religious. And um, he, Bishop Darcy would always call and say to them, um, he'd put in a word for me. And other women like myself and other men like myself who were lay people. And he supported what he was asking us to do. And in addition, we were working with um, Franciscan sisters, Dominican sisters, um, and the priests in the diocese who were also um, working, going out on these retreats. Shortly after um, I was hired and doing the retreats, Darcy sat me down um, one day and he said, how do you like the work? And I said, oh, I love the work. I never thought I'd be able to do something like this. So now 
know, I was meeting with parish um, advisory boards, and I was also doing the retreat work. And he said, well, you know something, you've got a good background with scripture, you've got a good, you've got philosophy, you've got ethics, you've got um, the kind of courses we want you to have when you graduated from BC. However, there's more. And I think if you want to stay in this work and you're good at it, you need to get credentials to work in the church. And he suggested going to Creighton University. I didn't know where Creighton University was. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like the floor had gone out from under me because I'm a mother. I can't leave home. To It would be a month of summer, and it would be three summers or six summers. Three summers would be two months of summer, and one month of summer would mean um, six years. So I never even told Tom that that offer was given to me. Mm. What I did was I signed up for courses at BC, and we were always given the option of sitting in on the courses at the seminary. It was called Minister in the Vicinity, and you would just sit in on the courses. You weren't, wouldn't get credit for it. So I did that. And I was praying to God that would give me the credentials. And he said again to me, um, I know what you're doing, but I want you to go to Creighton. Mm. And um, at that very time, Tom came into the kitchen one day while I was getting dinner. Mm -hmm. I was getting ready for an exam at BC. And Tom said to me, uh, what the heck are you doing? You're making dinner and you're reading a book. And I said, well, I got, a, I got a test tomorrow. And he said, you know, you should go to some school where you can just study and learn, get a degree if you have to. Wow. That, that's an incredible conversation. Go ahead. Funny thing you mentioned that <laughs> Bishop Darcy had offered send me to Creighton University, and he knew the Creighton Blue Jays, the basketball team, and he said, oh, that's all he said. Our conversation ended, and I thought, oh, I'm not going there again. Mm -hmm. Later, Tom came back and he said to me, um, you know, I've been thinking about that uh, Creighton thing. I think you should go. Wow. Wait, got, just for our audience, tell tell them where Creighton University is. Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Which is a long way from Brighton. Mm -hmm. and my kids at that age were um, 6 to 16. And Tom said, I have a job right now where I have I have seven weeks vacation. So, mm. I can still take a family vacation and stay home while you're gone for those four weeks. Mm. The six-year program, and um, and we'll just see how it goes, okay? Now, I'll tell you, I talked to more people before I ever said yes to that, but I went to Creighton for six years. Wow. A degree in Christian spirituality. And I got a certificate in retreat direction and spiritual direction. 
And at one point, Eileen was able to come with me and attend a camp there. It was remarkable. That, that's quite a story. And actually, it brings me to uh, a couple of questions I had about what were the conversations, I'm hearing the conversations that were going on between you and your husband, Tom, but what were some of the conversations that were going on at home? And even if you think about now when you, their children are grown, is there, do they remember any of this? And is th- what they remember different from what the reality was? Um, no, they, you know, it was like a blip on the screen, um, you know, to have their mother gone for four weeks, I think was huge, but I wrote to them. I I think we forget this happened in families centuries ago. And, um, sometimes we have some beautiful letters that come out of that. And so, In the four weeks that I was there, I remember standing in front of a phone booth and with all the other college kids on campus, and I would be calling home um, like maybe two or three times a week. There were no um, cell phones, and I would write letters, and I would always buy a book about something that I was studying and um, write in the cover to each child what it was that was happening um, and asking them how things were going at home as well. It was a time when I tried to explain before I left what I was doing, brought pictures home. And uh, at one time on our anniversary, Tom flew out. I didn't even know he was coming. His mother came to carry the kids and I Hey, lady. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. <laughs> Happy verse, anniversary. So um, that was uh, that was exactly what was unfolding. And I asked them the other day, and one of them says to me, um, you went back to work? And I said, yes, I went back to work. And they said, do you know it was a blip on the screen? <laughs> I thought, that's I so interesting. Not- I want all of our audience members who are contemplating and worrying about the impact of their relaunch on their kids to hear this. <laughs> it's it's really true. <laughs> well, I have to say it was bigger in my head and I, I lamented more about it. And when I look back, kids who understand that you love them. I remember when my mother went back to work, she said, I'm going to work because I want to know what I can you about the world when it's time for you to go back. So mm. I think I worked the same process with my kids as well. And they book. Mm. I mean, days that I'd be going out at night to a parish, I might try to get home and put supper on the table first. But I had recipes like potato chip chicken that they <laughs> me and they loved so it might take an extra bag of potato chip with the chicken but uh it was quite (laughs) quite an event and they seemed to like it that's so funny it's like oh yay mom's going out tonight because we get that really extra great dinner with the potato chips (laughs) that we cook (laughs) (laughs) yeah that they cook themselves oh that's great love that um, so Marianne, you are officially retired now after a very full career, but 
I heard that you're still working in some capacity, and I want to know if you can tell us what you're doing now. Well, um, the Curcio that I told you about requires four weekends a year when we're not in pandemic and a secretariat. And I'm still a member of the secretariat. I still take part in every weekend. And um, I just am I really committed to the work of the Curcio movement. Um, during my time, as I um, progressed in the Office of Spiritual Development, we had uh, new directors. Bishop John Doerr came after Bishop Dossi and Sister Helen Cornelia. And then Father John Sassani was a major turning point in the life of the office. Two things happened in his time there. He and I began um, putting together the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola, a 19th annotation program that could be done uh, by ordinary lay people. So it's a, uh, we had um, published it, self-published it. And so we've been leading that for 26 years and Father John died um, uh, two years ago. And so I'm still mm. doing that. And that's 24 weeks during the year. And out of that came another program called Meeting Christ in Prayer, which is a week version of that that the diocese used for the year 2000. Um, and then in addition, there is a lay formation program at St. John's Seminary that I had the privilege of being on the, the original committee that established that program for laity. And I still am part of the uh, formation program, and I, I work that during the year on Saturdays. And then um, I do spiritual direction still, which um, was part of my life when I was in the office. So uh, just a wonderful um, opportunity for me to continue. And my family has participated in those programs as well, Tom and so participated. So it's been helpful for us personally. You know, I just want to comment that you're very modest, but you have been honored and you are, uh, you have an incredible reputation for your leadership um, during the time that, that you uh, were in the office of spiritual life and even now. So I just want to uh, say that to our audience, because I think you're too modest to say that about yourself. And I feel so privileged to be having this conversation with you. Marianne, I want to wrap up by asking you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? Well, I do think, I do think having the credentials, and I'm saying that is not probably a good term to use, but Taking a look, even if you're going back into the similar work that you did earlier on, I think going back and rooting yourself in whatever it is that's new about that. For me, my own fear of going back and learning something new, something that wasn't ordinary for a lay person in the Catholic Church, but there were so many helps along the way. And the last thing I'd say is prayer. 
prayer, believing that there's something out there much bigger than you and asking for what I would call the grace to be able to do what is best, not only for yourself, but for others in the world. Thank you so much for ending on that note. And Marianne, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. It was a delight. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.